Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, Marshall Glickman. He's the founder and CEO of G2 Strategic. We're going to discuss David Beckham's potential departure from the LA Galaxy of the MLS. We'll also recap the Australian Open. And Marshall attended Super Bowl Forty Three in Tampa, so we'll get his thoughts on that. That's coming up in segment three. In segment four, I'll be joined by Christine Brennan, sports columnist for USA Today. We're going to discuss the turbulent week for swimmer Michael Phelps and how it might affect his marketing deals and even his future in the pool. That's coming up in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Be our Facebook friend. Go on to sportsbusinessradio.com and sign up to be a friend on our Facebook page. I'm joined in studio by my producer, Bobby Corser. Bobby, uh, Super Bowl 43 is in the books. Last week we had... Denny Galati from Anheuser-Busch on, and Anheuser-Busch had won the Ad Meter Award for the best ad 10 years in a row. That was snapped this week by Doritos, and we'll tell you more about that ad, and it was a user-generated ad, but what was your favorite ad from Super Bowl 43? You know, I'm going to have to take the Doritos one, and you know what? I'm going to eat some crow. I said that Pittsburgh would lose by 10, Arizona wins by 10, and for a while there in the fourth quarter, I was looking really pretty. You were looking very pretty, and I'll tell you, it was one of the the most interesting Super Bowls of all time, and we will have the numbers, and they are staggering numbers when we talk about how many people tuned in to watch that game, TV ratings-wise. That's coming up in our next segment. NBC sold a record $206 million worth of ads, 69 ads. They sold for Super Bowl 43. So between the Olympics and the Super Bowl, NBC has had a very good year with selling ads. This Michael Phelps story, one of the biggest stories so far in 2009. He's one of the most iconic athletes on the planet after his performance in the Olympics last August in Beijing. And he made a mistake. He's in hot water. Some of his sponsors have stood by him. Others have jumped off the train. We'll tell you who's in the pool and who's out of the pool. That's coming up next. Sports Business Radio headlines are coming up. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs, Themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. 
Visit WarsawCenter.com for more information. Headline number one, NBC's telecast of the Pittsburgh Steelers' 27-23 win over the Arizona Cardinals in Super Bowl 43 on Sunday. It earned a 42 final Nielsen rating and 98.7 million viewers tuned in. While the rating is down 2.6% from a 43.1 for the Giants-Patriots Super Bowl game on Fox last year, the 98.7 million viewers marks the most viewed Super Bowl ever, surpassing last year's record setting 97.4 million viewers. The 98.7 million viewers also ranked second all-time behind the finale of MASH on CBS in February of 1983. That had a staggering 106 million viewers. In terms of total reach, meaning a viewer watched all or part of the telecast, Super Bowl 43 was the most watched TV event ever with 151.6 million viewers beating out the 148.3 million viewers for last year's game. So, Bobby, I thought NBC did a fantastic job with the game. There were so many controversial plays, whether it was Santonio Holmes and his feet getting down for the winning touchdown, whether it was James Harrison, was he actually in the end zone for the 100-yard touchdown return? I thought NBC's pregame show, and I just, you know, I think Al Michaels and John Madden are still the best in the business. So overall, I thought NBC did a really nice job with the game. I completely agree with you. The one thing I found very interesting was the people they had atop the pirate ship in Tampa Bay. All guys that were either front office staff, including my boy Matt Millen, who I won't even get into that guy. He's just horrible. But if you look at the front office staff, it was him, Holmgren, a couple other guys. It was very interesting to kind of get that front office view of what's going on with the Super Bowl. And it was interesting. Holmgren at the end said, you know what, listen— you got to feel for the Cardinals. He knows exactly what it's like to be there because three years ago, he got beat down by the Steelers with his Seahawks. Right. Uh, tickets were actually pretty easy to get right up before game time. There was not nearly the demand that there was uh, last year in Phoenix for Super Bowl Forty Two between the Giants and the Steelers. Let's talk about some of the ads. That's headline number two. A Doritos user-generated ad topped USA Today's 21st annual ad meter, marking the first time it wasn't an ad agency that created the best-like Super Bowl commercial. This also breaks AB InBev's 10-year streak of winning first place in the ad meter. The Doritos ad submitted in an online contest by Dave and Joe Herbert of Batesville, Indiana, earned the brothers a million dollars from parent company Frito-Lay. The ad was made for less than $2,000. The Herberts hope to launch a board game this year called Triviation as well as develop a film script with their prize money. Again, Bobby, I thought it was one of the best ads. My other favorite ad is I did like the Clydesdale ad where the Clydesdale went to the circus and uh, was with the other horse and they ran off. And It was a little cheesy, but I'll tell you, there were some really bad ads. Speaking of cheesy, the Cheetos ad I thought was terrible. And, you know, as I've said in years past, I can't believe how much money people spend on these ads. In addition to the $3 million you paid for a 30-second spot, you're probably spending another million in production for the ad. And some of these ads were terrible. Overall, I thought it was possibly the worst year I've seen for Super Bowl ads. You know, I I will say this. I will say the Doritos commercial and two of the Anheuser-Busch ones basically saved it for me. But you got to look at the Conan O'Brien ad, stupid. Now, I, want, I understand he's the new guy that's going to be late-night TV. It's all about him. 
horrible spot. Well, well, and we really didn't see celebrities in these ads no, as much as we have in years past. Last year we saw the Pepsi ad with Justin Timberlake. There were some big names in the Super Bowl ads. We didn't really see that this year. No, we saw Tiger with the Gatorade spot, which I thought was really good. You know, the other spot that I really liked was the Bridgestone one with the, the potato heads. It was just classic. You know, everybody could kind of identify with that, with the person that will not be quiet in the car. If you want to see all the ads, go onto my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. You can review all of them, and you can vote for your favorite ad. All right, our next headline, big news. Michael Phelps, probably one of the most iconic athletes on the planet right now after winning all the gold medals that he won in Beijing in August. He was suspended from competition for three months by USA Swimming. This is the latest fallout from a photo that showed the Olympic great inhaling from a marijuana pipe. The sport's national governing body also cut off its financial support to Phelps for the same three-month period. That was effective Thursday. Earlier on Thursday, cereal and snack maker Kellogg announced it would not renew its sponsorship contract with Phelps, saying his behavior is not consistent with the image of Kellogg. The swimmer appeared on the company's cereal boxes after its Olympic triumph. Huge story this week. We're going to talk about it more uh, coming up in segment four with Christine Brennan from USA Today. You know, the one thing that I thought Phelps did well, and I'm someone who coaches athletes when they're in crisis or coaches or uh, high-profile people, he fell on the sword. He admitted he was wrong. He didn't try and deny anything. And I think that's key one to your recovery. If you run from things like Roger Clemens or Barry Bonds or Marion Jones, then the media chases you. And as we always say, the cover-up is worse than the crime. At least he didn't try and cover it up. Exactly. He took, you know, like you said, he took the fall. It was funny when this story broke, you had sent me the photo. And I looked at the source and I was like, eh, this is a British tabloid. And, you know, I had seen other photos before of, of athletes like this that were doing stuff. And I, was, and I even told you, I was like, listen, I don't believe this at all. Well, Octagon blew it. And yeah, Octagon is his agency. And what they had tried to do is they tried to make a deal with this tabloid where Michael Phelps would be a columnist for them uh, around the Olympic time. And they tried to make a deal with them not to run that picture. Now, look, I'm not saying that's the worst strategy in the world, but they tried to cover up. And the News and World reported that, and it makes them look even worse. So, you know, I don't know if Octagon handled this quite the way I would. I know some people at Octagon. I think they do a very good job overall, and they've done a good job for Michael Phelps getting him endorsement deals. But I don't think they did a very good job PR-wise in handling this crisis. Again, we'll talk more about this with uh, Christine Brennan from USA, USA Today. That's coming up in segment four. Our next headline. Major League Baseball Commissioner Bud Selig is paid commiserate to the highest paid players in all of Major League Baseball. This is according to tax filings obtained by the Sports Business Journal. Selig's compensation climbed past $18 million for the fiscal year ending October 31, 2007. His $18.35 million salary in 2007 represented a 22% increase over the previous year. Basically, only four players in baseball made more than Bud Selig during the same period. Alex Rodriguez, Derek Jeter, Roger Clemens, and Jason Giambi, all members of the New York Yankees. Bobby, I'll tell you, I've said this, and Selig has been my pinata on this show before. I would not make him the highest paid commissioner. My rankings for the major sports would be David Stern, number one, Roger Goodell, number two. Then I'd have Selig coming in third. I don't think he's worth $18 million a year. He's done some great things for baseball. But at the end of the day, 
The owners are making a lot of money. The owners are the ones paying his salary. And if they have no problem paying him $18 million and increasing his salary by 22%, then, hey, I guess I can't have a problem with it either. No, and you know, he is a good commissioner. And like I said, you know, I gave him the award earlier this year saying, hey, you know, he's really turned baseball around. They're going to give him a 22% increase. Fine. And he, I think he's worked for it. Well, in another big money-making Cash cow for Major League Baseball is the new Major League Baseball Network, which launched on January 1st. Our next headline, Citigroup, is exploring the possibility of backing out of its 20-year naming rights deal for the New York Mets ballpark that's going to open this spring. Citigroup officials have made no final decision about whether to void the roughly $400 million deal, which was signed in November of 2006. If City backs out, it likely wouldn't happen immediately. It could involve the bank paying a breakup penalty to the Mets. This is yet another sign of our struggling economy. And this 20-year, $400 million naming rights deal, the largest naming rights deal ever for a U.S. sports venue. That's a lot of money. And if you're a Mets fan, you better be hoping that this deal doesn't go away or else you're not going to be signing too many free agents in the future. Our last headline of the week IRL driver Danica Patrick, she signed with IMG's Alan Zucker and Mark Steinberg. If you recognize the name Mark Steinberg, he's been on the show several times before. He's the agent for Tiger Woods. Uh, Danica had been with another company, and she didn't feel like they were getting it done. Her father didn't feel like they were getting it done. And as I've said many times on the show, I think the best sports agent, bar none, is Mark Steinberg, Tiger's agent. And if he can do the things he's done for Tiger... Uh, Danica Patrick is seen as the third most recognizable driver in all of auto sports, and it's behind uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Jimmy Johnson. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk to Marshall Glickman. He's the CEO and founder of G2 Strategic. He attended Super Bowl 43 in Tampa. We'll talk about his thoughts from that game. We'll also talk about David Beckham, his potential departure from Major League Soccer and how that could impact the league. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big Thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. For an international outlook on the world of sports business, Sports Business Radio presents Glickman Global. My guest is Marshall Glickman. He is the CEO and founder of G2 Strategic. You can go to g2strategic.net and find him. Marshall, thanks for joining us this week on Sports Business Radio. Great to talk to you, Brian. So, Marshall, you just returned from Super Bowl 43. Uh, give me your general thoughts. Uh, how did everyone do? How did the NFL do? What kind of sponsor images did you see out there? Give us a general overview for the people that weren't there. 
the scale of the thing blew me away. It was very, very impressive. It's just everything is big. Um, you know, considering that, I think they did a commendable job. I was disappointed by kind of the street scene outside the stadium. It was kind of not very well done. Once you got into the NFL experience, again, the bigness of it was impressive. There was a diversity of things to do. They had a concert stage in the NFL experience with big name acts. They had Rush playing. Um, but I must tell you, it, it kind of took on a large-scale carnival atmosphere. And so I was a little underwhelmed by sort of the quality of it as compared to, say, similar um, activities that the NBA and some of the other leagues do. Corporate hospitality, I spent time in the club level, time in the suites, um, seemed strong. But I think ticket demand, you know, obviously it sold out at the on the primary level. But there was a StubHub, a large StubHub booth by Steinbrenner Stadium across the street. It was officially licensed by the NFL, and there was not a lot of action there. So there were a lot of tickets. Probably we went on to StubHub's kiosk. There were at least hmm, five, 600 tickets across all price ranges available uh, about three hours before the game, and there were not a lot of buyers. So ticket demand appeared down to me. You know, the Super Bowl is incredible. The the Springsteen production and all that aspect was just incredible. So what they do inside the seating bowl, very impressive. I give them an A. What happens kind of in the NFL experience was underwhelming. I give it a C. And then I guess just with all the television, it, it's a better experience, frankly, at home because it's hard to watch in person with so many delays. It's like two plays, timeout delay. And when you're sitting in the stadium and you don't have the commercials and the replays and the commentary to go with it, a little hard to watch. Yeah, I think NBC did a fantastic job. I mean, their replays, it, any of the controversial plays, they were all over that and it's fun to watch it on TV and you know, they have the NBC see me so you can really see did the guy have both feet in bounds for the touchdown and uh, things like that. So, Marshall, obviously it's a down economy right now. Did you notice Anything at the Super Bowl, you know, we hear about parties that were cut back, the Playboy party and the Sports Illustrated party, some of the parties that were cut off. Did you notice anything as far as the economy is concerned uh, that was kind of nixed this year from the experience? They set aside, I think they blocked out about 1,900 hotel rooms. My understanding, we had a hard time getting a hotel room, oh, a month and a half out. We ended up having to stay south in Sarasota. But I heard from several people that, a day before the event, there were plenty of hotel rooms, and we could have waited. And, in fact, hotel room rates were being lowered. So I think that combined with the cancellation of the parties you mentioned, I know also the CAA Sports canceled their party. I think there's no doubt that corporate hospitality and the number of those kinds of guests being brought to Tampa you know, was well down from prior years. But all in all, it was a fun experience going to Super Bowl Forty Three, and it was a great game, right? Oh, the game was incredible, and it was an incredible experience. We were fortunate to be invited to a suite for the second half. And to be honest with you, you know, I watched the game live out of one corner of my eye, but really I was more glued into the television coverage like you were saying. Sure. All right, let's talk about David Beckham. He's on loan with AC Milan right now, and it looks like AC Milan wants to keep him, and it looks like David Beckham might want to stay with them instead of returning to the Galaxy. How do you see this unfolding? Well, that's not the way I hear it. The way I hear it is that David Beckham, and particularly his wife, 
like L.A. a lot and want to be in L.A., number one. Number two, it's a loan. My understanding is that in spite of the pre-negotiated buyout amount, that it's up to the galaxy to decide, not up to David Beckham to decide. I can't imagine that AEG and Tim Lywicki would let him go after he's played basically a handful of games for the Galaxy. They invested in Beckham. Uh, the league invested in Beckham, and they're subsidizing part of it, in order to bring attention to the league, and it's done that, and I think they want it to continue to be that way. So I don't see him staying at AC Milan. If he were to stay at AC Milan, let's just hypothetically, how does that affect Major League Soccer? Um, well, I think the problem, you know, Beckham's on the tail end of his career, so it's not, so, you know, it's not so much that it changes the fortunes of the galaxy, but I think it sends the wrong message when they make a big splash and a lot of hoopla around signing a guy of his notoriety and talent, and then, you know, after one year, he leaves. So I think it affects them negatively, particularly when it's difficult enough to sell corporate partnerships in this environment. Well, I mean, here's a quote from David Beckham. He admits he enjoys playing at the highest level in Italy, adding it will take quite a few years for the MLS to reach a comparable standard. And it says here in this report I'm reading that David Beckham's camp has already started talks to secure his release from the L.A. Galaxy. So it sounds like this is pretty serious conversations between Beckham's camp and the Galaxy and AC Milan to you know, maybe not have him return to the MLS. And I agree with you. There was so much hoopla around David Beckham and what this is going to mean to the MLS. Uh, I would be pretty surprised if he is allowed to leave, but I think it would be a big blow to the league. I can be dead off, but I don't believe those published reports. I do not think AEG is, you know, Anschutz Entertainment Group is prepared to release him. All right. We will see and we'll keep our eyes on this one. Uh, The Australian Open. I know that you've been involved uh, with tennis. You have clients who are uh, involved with tennis. Uh, Let's talk about the Australian Open a little bit. Uh, I think we've talked tennis on prior shows, Marshall, and we've said that any time the big names reach the finals, Serena Williams wins the Australian Open this year, and then you have Nadal defeating Federer. Those are the two marquee guys for uh, men's tennis. It's got to be a good thing for the Australian Open, right? Well, I think it's mixed. I mean, maybe it's good for the Australian Open, but I think the the real question is, is it good for tennis? I mean, what what you know, these were there were some epic matches, not only the Nadal Federer final, but the Nadal playing his fellow countryman, I forgot the guy's name, in the semi. That was an amazing match. And it so happened that I was up early in the morning in Tampa and watched. But, you know, for tennis the problem is, first of all, these matches are in the middle of the night. So basically, they have no audience whatsoever. You know, they're on the deuce, and I haven't seen the ratings, but I would imagine the viewership was very, very small. And so the exposure that these great matches get is very, very limited. I'm sure there'll be some kind of a big story in SI or something after the fact, but that's not helping tennis. Now, you know, if I was running the show, you know, frankly, I would delay those broadcasts. I think you got to have those ga- those matches on when people can see him. So I think that's really an issue. And then Federer, you know, it's pretty apparent 
that he's on the downside of his career and it's going to be over soon. So to continue to be dependent on Federer and Nadal, Federer and Nadal, over and over and over again, I think that is a mistake uh, from a positioning perspective that tennis has been taking for too long. And in the meantime, they have not developed other stars effectively. In women's tennis, it's slightly different, but, you know, I think it's good having Serena on top uh, to some extent. But again, uh, you know, most people, the average person on the street can't name more than two or three tennis players, and that's a problem. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point about how the matches take place in the middle of the night. The one thing I will give ESPN2 a little bit of credit for is they replayed the Nadal-Federer match, and it was on actually before the Super Bowl. So you had the choice. You can either watch that match or you can watch the six hours of uh, Super Bowl pregame hype on NBC, and I tuned in to Nadal Federer. I already knew the result, which was a problem, but I still enjoyed watching the match, and of course, I wasn't going to be someone who got up in the middle of the night and, and watch it, but you know what, Marshall? We have TiVo now, so you know you could set your TiVo or your recording device and wake up in the morning and, and watch it on demand on your terms, right? Yeah, and your point's very well taken. In this technology world, there's no way, you know, in the olden days in Portland, we used to delay East Coast games that started at 4.30, so if we were playing Boston or the Knicks or something like that, we actually would air that game at 6.30 when we had a captive audience and people were back home, but we also delayed radio, and we had the cooperation of our television score station not to say, verbally say, the score during their sports report prior to the game, so we kept the result you know, pretty quiet, but there's no way to do that anymore, and so people do know the results. I didn't realize they had replayed it, and I agree with you. That's a very good thing, but nonetheless, you know, it's very difficult to promote these matches when they're played, when they're played. And I'm not sure there's a solution for that, especially with Australia. Yeah, and it's hard. I mean, tennis and golf are international sports. So, for instance, when the British Open is going on with golf, uh, it's hard for people in the United States to get up so early and, and watch. I mean, especially if you're in Hawaii or somewhere like that. The problem still with tennis comes down to, well, there's a lot of problems with tennis, but tennis has given that incredible potential. But they just don't have enough recognizable players and it's frankly i think a little bit too predictable now with those guys now maybe this is going to change now that roger seems to be beginning the fade i'm not saying he's going to fade immediately of course he's a wonderful and gifted player but you know he's beginning to fade and the doll's going to be great and he's going to be there for a long time see i don't see federer fading as much as i see Nadal becoming just even more incredible by by the match and i think if Federer was playing someone other than Nadal, he probably wins the, the Open. I mean, any match or any tournament, if Federer gets to the finals and he doesn't have to face Nadal, he probably wins, right? Yeah, but Brian, these guys are on the road something like 40 weeks out of the year. Right. These guys are tired. These guys are injured. These guys often go to tournaments and, frankly, dog it. Not really on purpose, just because of fatigue. They're burned out. There's too many matches going on. 64 ATP men's tournaments. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I look at someone like Maria Sharapova, who's as recognizable as anyone in tennis, men or women's tennis, and she's had so many injuries, and she's played such an abbreviated schedule in the last year or two. That can't help tennis at all. Right. So there has to be a solution to this problem, I think, in the long run. And it's very difficult because in tennis, the interest of the tournaments, the interest of the majors, the interest of the top players, the interest of the middle players, the interest of the lower players, uh, the interest of the sponsors, there's too many interests and the interests aren't aligned. And until uh, they get a powerful person at a commissioner-like level to sort of 
work on getting all those interests as aligned as possible, I think tennis is going to continue, unfortunately, because I'm a big, big lover of it, but I think tennis is going to continue to have a small audience. Well, I am nominating right here on this show, Marshall Glickman is the next commissioner of tennis. (laughs) I would love to be in that gig. I don't think I'll get it. All right, well, we'll see. Maybe someone's listening to the show, and they'll give you a call next week. All right, before I let you go, you're working on a new stadium for Roland Garros. Uh, Tell us about that. I mean, you're a guy that travels all over the world. you got your hands in a lot of different projects. Uh, What's that project looking like? Well, they're going to build a 15,000-seat retractable roof stadium. This is a big departure for an institution like the French Tennis Federation, which is very traditional, and now they're going to move away from tradition. This stadium, because of the location of Roland Garros, is going to be 500 meters from Roland Garros, which creates it's quite a distance. So it creates all kinds of logistical challenges but it's, a, I think, a big step forward. It means the French are pushing the bar up. It means that they're going to try to compete with the other majors on a revenue level you know, and, and try to really make it robust and grow it. And I think that's a good thing. This is a really, really exciting project, and it so happens that I'm teamed with Ron Turner, who's a very well-known sports architect. He designed Staples Center and others, as well as a French architect named Christian Portsenpark, who's famous in the United States for the Louis Vuitton building in New York, and we're competing uh, in a competition to design the stadium. I think we're going to win, too. Well, best of luck to you, and uh, thanks for joining us here on Sports Business Radio. It's been a while, but we appreciate you stopping by. Marshall Glickman, CEO of G2 Strategic. Find him online at g2strategic.net. Marshall, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Brian. I always enjoy it. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is an old friend of the show, Christine Brennan. She is USA Today sports columnist. She's also a commentator for ABC News and Good Morning America. Michael Phelps, as we talked earlier in the show, he was suspended from competition for three months by USA Swimming the latest fallout from a photo that showed the Olympic great inhaling from a marijuana pipe. Christine, you've been all over this story for the last week or so. How hard was it for USA Swimming to suspend really the golden boy of the Beijing Olympic Games? It's a very interesting development, and I think, Brian, uh, that it's more symbolic than anything else. But it's, if, the, if his losing his sponsorship, you know, the endorsement deal with Kellogg's is a kick in the wallet, then this is a kick in the gut because the one thing Michael Phelps has wanted to be 
Uh, he has stated it over and over again as being an ambassador for the sport, bring little children to the sport. Uh, he loves talking to kids and being around them and encouraging them to swim and, and be a part of, of his sport. And has always talked about being the one to take kind of, you know, the Pied Piper to bring these kids to another level uh, with, with swimming. And uh, now he should have thought of all that, of course, when he picked up that uh, marijuana pipe in, uh, North, in South Carolina in November. I mean, one would have thought, hey, think of that before you go do what you did. Uh, clearly, that was a, a mistake that's looking looming larger and bigger, I guess, almost every day now as the story has developed. And uh, so I'm sure he is just devastated because, um, you know, he'll be more sympathetic probably. He'll be fine. He'll come back. Uh, you know, we don't have to worry about him in that sense, Michael Phelps. But this is really, for a guy who set himself up and wanted to be a role model, this is uh, a real, uh, this, you know, that's, that's not what he wanted to have happen. And I'm sure it's a devastating blow to him. Christy and I have been watching this closely this week. It's a very interesting development. So many companies and networks have so much invested in Michael Phelps. And I've watched it closely because I've wondered, will people have the guts like USA Swimming had to actually reprimand this guy? Because he's been worth so much money to so many of these companies. And the ratings on NBC were huge during the Olympics. Now, you know, they've kind of taken him down a few notches. Are you surprised that people have taken a hard stance with him? I'm actually glad they have. As, as you know, I've written a couple columns on this, and, and I, I think it's a big deal. Not, not so much the 23-year-old smoking pot, uh, although I, there are 23-year-olds and others who have never smoked pot, and I'm one of them. And so, you know, it's not, it's not, everyone, it seems like everyone laughs and says, oh, everyone does it. Well, no, not everyone. But, uh, but it, not so much because of that, Brian, but because of the fact that uh, that 23-year-old who smoked pot is an eight-time Olympic gold medalist and has said has set himself up explicitly to be a role model for children. Uh, that was his stated goal all the way along here. So, um, you know, with that, I think that the USA Swimming did the right thing, and I think um, I think Kellogg's has done the right thing. I, I was um, I wasn't surprised, but I was I was you know I was kind of shrugging when I saw what was going on in the first couple of days of this news story when. Uh, some of these companies and uh, the International Olympic Committee all jumping on the bandwagon. We love you, Michael. You know, you're a great champion, and, you know, we know, uh, you know, you made a mistake, but you've already apologized, so we love you even more. And they're just, you know, praising him to no end. And, and I thought it was just embarrassing. Um, they're falling over each other um, on this. And I, I guess now, I mean, they look silly because here USA Swimming had said all nice, a lot of nice things, even though they acknowledged his mistake. And now they're doing this a few days later. So clearly uh, the communities out, in the, out there have spoken. Parents have spoken. A lot of children have spoken. There have been stories written about how disappointed children are. And I think it shows the, um, the power of community involvement in these national governing bodies where it's not just superstars. It's not just top-heavy. It's also uh, the little swim clubs all around the country and people saying, you know, no, 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 we've got to teach, we've got to teach our kids a lesson uh, this way. So it, I think, it's, I think it's the right thing to do, uh, my personal opinion, but I'm a little surprised, frankly, because there was such a love fest at the beginning of this whole process. I'm joined by Christine Brennan. She's a sports columnist for USA Today. She's also a commentator for ABC News and Good Morning America. Christine, I read some quotes from Michael Phelps this week. A, he showed he was contrite and sorry, which I did like to see, but then he also said that he may consider not swimming in the 2012 Olympics in London. How serious do you think he is about possibly not swimming in 2012? 
You know, I don't know. I think clearly uh, tonight, uh, the, the news, of course, of the last few days and what's going on with him with, uh, with um, uh, you know, getting banned and, and Kellogg's and just this kind of week of uh, difficulty for him is probably going to take a big strain on him and, and have him think about what he wants to do. Frankly, I think uh, going back to swimming will be soothing for him. It will be uh, his, you know, kind of the place where he – feels best and he's it's home for him to be in the pool um that said i would also say it's time for probably michael or his coach or his handlers his uh, you know his managers brian to maybe step back and say every time he makes a mistake so he just goes into the pool and churns through more water and ends up winning more gold medals but what are we doing about the what is he doing about his own self-development and and uh making himself a more complete person None of my business, really, although clearly it's all of our business because we're watching this play out on the world stage. But um, I, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised about anything right now. I'm sure Michael's disgusted. Um, but having said that, I can't imagine he's going to want to leave the stage with this being the last memory. Uh, so I would think, if anything, this would encourage him and fuel him even more to want to compete in London in 2012. So Michael Phelps has made mistakes before. He had a DUI in 2004. This is strike two. Uh, You know, we live in a forgiving society. We've seen many people come back from uh, disgraces. Kobe Bryant is now a popular player. He sells a ton of jerseys. He's embraced around the country after what he went through. How do you think this all shakes out for Michael Phelps at the end of the day? Do you think he can keep his nose clean, or is this a guy that you worry about uh, keeping on the straight and narrow path going forward? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, we know he had the DUI four years ago when he was 19 years old after the 2004 Olympics in Athens. And now, of course, he has another uh, incident, the marijuana smoking, of course, the picture, the cell phone picture um, that has been seen around the world. So I have no idea what, uh, you know, what Michael wants to do with his life, his social life. Um, you know, he was pictured with strippers in Las Vegas in September. I mean, there, you know, if he wants to have a, the life of a party boy, he certainly can have that, and I'm sure he'd have a lot of fun with it. Um, if he really wants to, you know, to come back and, and kind of exorcise the demons of, of what he's just been going through, which I would believe he would want to do that, and clear his name and kind of you know, give himself something to fight for for the 2012 Olympics, um, that makes sense to me too. Uh, but I do think he will be uh, greeted with great sympathy. I, I think that, um, you know, if anything, being punished like this with the three-month suspension will probably tell have everyone will say, the poor guy, okay, now we love him again. Uh, versus if he hadn't been punished, maybe they wouldn't have that feeling. That's kind of we're funny that way as human beings. So I'm going to guess that he'll have a lot of support, when, whatever he decides to do. When I'm not hosting this show, one of the things I do is uh, media train people. And you know, one of the first things I tell them is we now live in a society where it's 24-7. I mean, whether it's a cell phone camera or you know, you're Michael Richards, Kramer, who is doing stand-up, and and your career can be ruined instantaneously. It's amazing to me, Christine, that still athletes like Michael Phelps put themselves in these positions in public at a party smoking marijuana out of a pipe. I mean, you would never see Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan or any of these guys doing this in a public forum, and that's what's amazing to me about Michael Phelps here. Right. Oh, I think that, uh, well, it also, I think, makes you appreciate Tiger Woods even more, doesn't it? And, right, and it does. Like he's like, yeah, uh, for sure. Michael should have thought. Uh, I, 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 the hubris, the arrogance, the bulletproof feeling that he has, the youthful indiscretion, although, again, he's 23, 
you know, uh, 23 year olds uh, fight for our country and die. 23 year olds get married. 23 year olds have mortgages. If when you and I were 23, if we'd uh, smoked marijuana, we might have got lost our jobs. You know, might have gotten uh, fired. Um, so it's not like he's a, a 16 year old here. But um, I think that Michael, uh, I think because he's a bit of a man child, because he's not a very complex guy. High school graduate, took a few classes at Michigan in the four years he was there. Uh, he was there to swim, not to be a student. But, uh, you know, it, I, I wrote in my column on Thursday in USA Today that he needs guidance. You know, he needs direction. And I, I do think that. And I think we see, one, how amazing it is for those athletes who do, from childhood on up, do the right thing. Um, of course, the cell phone era and all these pictures have really only been out there now in, in, you know, Facebook stuff. It's really only been going the last, what, four, five, six years. So in many ways, this is a new phenomenon, and clearly this will not be the last time. I think we'll probably mark time, Brian, from the Michael Phelps incident in terms of athletes and people being very concerned about what, what they're doing in public, knowing that cell phone cameras are, you know, everywhere. And, of course, I think we all know that now. Christine, last question. Uh, again, Kellogg's drops Michael Phelps. Do you think that other sponsors might now be more emboldened to say, you know what, we're going to get on that bus too? Because like we talked earlier in this interview, you know, everyone was getting on the Michael Phelps train at the beginning of the week. I wonder if some of these other companies now might reconsider and say, you know what, we're going to follow Kellogg's lead. I, I would agree. And I think actually that is the more substantial of the two news items. Um, the suspension is, you know, symbolic, uh, but I think the, uh, losing Kellogg's is a big deal. And I'm wondering if there might not be other, um, others that follow suit. Uh, for my column on Thursday, I talked to both Subway and uh, Kellogg's, and Kellogg's actually took, took uh, two phone calls to get a uh, no comment um, the first time they never even returned my call. And, uh, and then, what, 24 hours later, they're dropping him. Subway also did not support him. And so I would not be surprised at all if Subway is the next one to, to fall because Subway, you know, when given an opportunity to support him, as, say, Visa did or Omega or a couple others, um, Subway did not do that, nor did Kellogg. So you've got Kellogg already out of the picture, and maybe Subway would be the next. And if I were uh, Michael or his managers, I'd be very concerned that uh, the door has been opened here, um, you know, not to kick him when he's down, but just to make a business decision, especially, <laughs> dare I say it, in this economy, uh, when uh, what company wants to throw money uh, at something that is uh, being perceived as a negative of, of this magnitude. So well, we tell- it, it's the elite of the elite who get these endorsement deals. I remember watching a 60 Minutes piece where he was on the phone with his agent and they turned down a $5 million a year deal. I'm imagining that next week they won't be turning down $5 million a year deals, if I'm they have any. Brian, yes, I, Brian, I'm imagining you're absolutely right. I believe there will be no more deals. Wow. I mean, that's... Whatever happens, so Kellogg's is gone. Maybe some others will, you know, go. But I, I also don't think there'll be any new ones, right? I mean, because if you're a company, you've got the DUI with Michael Phelps, and I don't mean to be. I like the guy. He's a nice kid. His mom is terrific. I'm not trying to be entirely negative about him. Uh, I'm just looking at the facts here and looking at the situation of being a role model and then having, you know, this and doing what he did. But uh, you know, what after we did DUI in 2004, and now this from 2008. What company, again, in this economy, wants to take a flyer, wants to take a chance on a guy who already has two strikes? And I think that's going to be the big problem for them going forward. Well, Christine Brennan, USA Today sports columnist. You can also find her on ABC News and Good Morning America. Thanks for joining us. It had been a while since we had you on. I know you're busy. Thanks for making time for us this week. 
Oh, Brian, always a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Christine. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, not only did Arizona fans have to deal with a heartbreaking Super Bowl loss, but some of those in Arizona got a dash of porn mixed into their viewing of the fourth quarter. Immediately following Larry Fitzgerald's second touchdown, NBC affiliate KVOA in Tucson magically switched over to pay-per-view porn. It's unclear how many viewers were affected by the clip, which lasted about 30 seconds and featured full male nudity. This was a disaster for Comcast, and they said so. The pornography clip was from Club Jenna, (laughs) an adult cable television channel. Wow. If you're watching Super Bowl 43, you definitely don't think you're going to see that on the screen. All right. It's been a fun show this week. Thank you to our guests, Christine Brennan from USA Today. Marshall Glickman, the CEO of G2 Strategic, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger, our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I want to thank my father, Michael Berger, in studio this week, sitting in on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. Nice to have the old man here. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll see you next weekend right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. (laughs) Or at sportsbusinessradio.com.